Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. So one of the things I appreciate the most about myself is my ability to approach most any kind of situation with a calm and cool head. But sometimes the only appropriate response to injustice is outrage and fighting any way we know how. In this episode of the Second Story Podcast, storyteller Connie Shirakawa is determined to save her Muslim friend, Mo, from persecution. And Connie's fierce commitment leads to both high hilarity and deep rumination. Second Story is proud to present Connie Shirakawa. you need help with anything. I have a lot of lawyer friends. I'm not going to tell you my friend Mo's real name. I can't. Mo is my yoga friend. And when she mentioned that she had to fly home to Tehran last summer, I was scared that she'd get into trouble at O'Hare. Mo is self-confident, big, outspoken. But I guess I have inherited a certain wariness about officials and authority from my mom and dad. After all, my parents met in an Arkansas concentration camp for Japanese Americans. The US Constitution did not protect these American citizens who were born in this country back then. And I do not entirely trust it to protect anyone today. I guess it's a residual legacy of America's camps, one generation later, in me. Although my mother never said much about the camps, she was probably plenty scared when we were kids. There's a policeman, Connie, she hissed at me all the time. Mom, stop saying that. We're not doing anything wrong, I told her. I'm trying to drive. Later. I do not want you to be afraid of people. So she didn't tell me very much. I just picked up bits and pieces of my parents' story when I was growing up. And they are starting to come back to me now. Both of my parents were from small California towns. My dad's family owned a restaurant. My mom's dad came to the US in the late 1800s on his way to Peru. He never made it, had a heart attack, and is buried in some apricot field in California. My mom was a college graduate from the University of Southern California and probably thought of herself as something of an intellectual. She read poetry, recited Browning and Longfellow, and painted and enjoyed music and art. But I understand now that she probably had a lot to be terrified about being in this big, bad city of Chicago. The FBI had released her from her Arkansas camp with the warning that she was not to congregate or mix with other people of Japanese descent, to lay low and not speak Japanese or act Japanese or do anything Japanese. In other words, blend in. Do not call attention to yourself. Do not make waves. Fit in. Here in America? the land of the free. Mom was probably aghast at being alone in Chicago, which she called a gangster town. 
She was all by herself. Her mother, my grandma, was old, and she was allowed to return to her house in Fresno, California. According to my mom's FBI file, I read that she was released on a temporary permit to look for work in Chicago. The camps were starting to close down. She took a Greyhound bus to Chicago, but could not find a job. I guess nobody wanted a college grad on their assembly line, a thinker. She would have to go back to the camp. Instead, I read she married my dad all of a sudden at City Hall in Chicago. He had been after her since their camp days. <laughs> I was born in Chicago and grew up in my parents' boarding house. Japanese-American men were going into the army, stayed there. How surreal. As US citizens, these guys were incarcerated as enemy aliens, but then had to serve their country? Does that even make sense? With their families, their wives, their children, their friends and relatives still in prison behind barbed wires in 10 godforsaken areas of Wyoming or the swamps of Arkansas or the back roads of Idaho. President Trump said in a speech that we have a precedent for imprisoning people without due process in this country because we've already done it. Like hell you do, Mr. President. Bullheaded. That was the word my mom would use for my labor union activist dad, who was like a bull charging into the fray whenever and wherever he could find one. An amateur boxer, I once saw him punch out the headlights of someone's car that had blocked our garage. Just like that, pow, pow. <laughs> you are just like your father, my mother would say when she got mad at me. I guess the monkey on her back was from her childhood in California. I think now, that is now that I have time to think. She was probably afraid of the guard at the public swimming pool in Fresno, California. If you were of Japanese descent, you had to swim at the end of the day when the water was filled with the sweat and the pee and the spit of more privileged kids. Or maybe she was scared of her ballet teacher who would not let her take ballet with the rest of the class. She had to wait until the end of the day in a special class just for her and her Japanese friends. And I wonder now, all these years later, why in the world my mom would only take us to a Japanese dentist or Japanese optometrist or doctor who had a Japanese last name, traveling with two kids on the L all the way to the south side or all the way to the north side on two buses. Dr. Nakayama, Dr. Chikaraishi, Dr. Nobe. Was she afraid that others who weren't Japanese would hurt her children, mistreat us? give us old stuff, the way my dad said that the Arkansas townspeople had sold rotten meat to the camp at inflated prices? Did she think they would give us bad glasses or substandard medical treatment? Yeah, my mom and dad had to watch out for my brother and me in a hostile world. Well, we, we were happy. We blissfully played with all of our Italian 
Irish and Polish friends on the street. We were hardly aware we were different. We blended in, got along, just what the FBI had ordered. I did not fully get at the time why she was saying to me, I did not want you to be afraid of people, Connie, to feel comfortable wherever you went. Of course I'm not afraid. Why should I be? So my yoga pal, Mo, and I met 10 or 15 years ago in the elevator at a public park on Mo's first day in our yoga class. I showed her around and helped her set up her mat and her blocks. But then when she told me that last summer she had to fly home to Tehran to take care of her aging mom and dad, this fear popped up in my brain out of nowhere. Mo was fine. She seemed relaxed, without a care, and that is exactly why I was afraid for her. She is unafraid, just the way my mother wanted me to be. When Mo had to go to Tehran with all those protesters at O'Hare Airport over the president's proposed travel ban, I swore to myself, if anyone detained her, bothered her, I would fight them. I will stand up and protect my friend and all Muslims from those bully types at Homeland Security. I was ready to take action, to punch out their headlights. Pow, pow! The more I thought about it, the fiercer I got. If they stop Mo at the airport, I will go out there in the middle of the night if I have to and pull right up to the Homeland Security desk. I was getting madder by the minute. This horror is not happening on my watch. Then, bring, bring. My phone was ringing. I looked. It was Mo. I always wondered about myself. When it came right down to it, would I really have the guts to take a stand and hide someone who needed my help? Would I put my own life on the line to save someone who was being hunted and be as brave as the righteous had been during the Holocaust? Could I be that tough and fearless? Bring, bring, you bet. In the movie of me saving Mo at O'Hare, Steven Spielberg would have a Wagnerian drum roll. Boom, boom, boom. In lockstep with me, marching to Homeland Security, my upraised yoga roll, charging ahead to save Mo from the evil empire. Bring, bring, my nerves are all a tingle. I'm shaking now, I'm psyched. Bring, bring, where are my car keys? Bring, bring, I know, I'll put on those all-terrain action sneakers I got on sale last summer, where did I put them? Bring, bring, I lunge for the phone. Maybe ICE had already picked her up down at the airport and those lousy bums had handcuffed Mo. Bring, bring, I push the phone, Mo? Connie, I need help. Okay, this is it, I thought. I'm here for you, I said with my jaw set. Where are my house keys? Uh, what if I get arrested? Should I take my passport or what? Connie, Connie, are you there? I need you to, yes, yes. Connie, you sound a little weird. <laughs> what I need is, yes, yes. What I need for you to do is to go to my house 
get the internet connectors off my computer and return them to RCN on Addison and Western for me. <laughs> what? It's right near where you live. Uh, and Connie, yeah, can you please get me a receipt too? Sure, okay. I was deflated, knocked off my high horse. I did sound a little funny, I guess. Mo went on, you said if I needed help, so? Yeah, right, I told you that and I meant it. I will go over there right away. And I did. And a couple of months later, with the travel ban in the courts, Mo came back to Chicago, no problem. But I was frustrated. I'd wanted to do something. Actually, I'm usually always a pretty happy person, despite everything that's going on in our country right now. But as for our president's ban on travel from some Muslim countries, rescinding DACA, his outrageous racist remarks, I just want him to know, to get to my friend Mo, or any Muslim, the Dreamers, or anyone else, he's going to have to get through me this time. I am not afraid. By saving my friend Mo, maybe I'm also saving myself from the, from the pent-up fears that my mom and dad had buried inside me so long ago. I will not lay low this time and be invisible and not make waves. I will congregate. I will speak to anyone I please and protest and fight for my rights. No, sir, Mr. President, I am the America you have to deal with today. There is no precedent for injustice. Are you with me? This story was curated by Amy Tin, directed by Liz Rice, with music and sound design by Mariana Green. The Second Story podcast is produced by Liv Oath. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.